Welcome to the Greenway Outdoors podcast, your trusted source for outdoor information and entertainment. The Greenway Outdoors is also an internationally syndicated TV show and conservation advocate aimed at bringing millennials and Generation Z into the outdoors. Welcome to the Greenway Outdoors. The Greenway Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Ram Trucks, built to serve Motor Trends Truck of the Year for the third year in a row. Fast Pro Shop and Cabela's, your adventure starts here. And by Tracker Boats, fish the best. Hello and welcome to episode 69 of the Green Bay Outdoors podcast. Yeah. <laughs> My name's Kyle Green. Uh, I'm AJ. I'm Ryan. And Jeff isn't here. Thank goodness. Let's move right into it. <laughs> AJ, you've got an awesome story. Yeah, it's a quick little guy. It's funny. It, it's Yeah. I you know that's what my girlfriend calls a- me. Anytime funny. No, that's just quick or, little guy. Oh, I, couldn't th- I couldn't think of anything funny. <laughs> that's cute. That's Too what they called me in high school. <laughs> no, I was old good. shuffle feet. No, um, I wasn't allowed to play football in high school because you had to weigh 103 pounds. And the permission slip. Yeah. Apparently, I just found out though when I played little league as a kid, my parents had to like sign their life away because I was like always 15 to 25 pounds under whatever the the marker was mm-hmm. so they, they're they like yeah it's like we couldn't sue if you died <laughs> like that was that yeah i was like no he's yeah. likely gonna get hurt yeah <laughs> I, I remember when i did little league football i was they had like the training camp that you would do at the beginning of all football and i remember we were doing an exercise and i went i had to go puke so i went and threw up what is with you in puking you do it like it's not a big deal it's a big deal no no, <laughs> you can, can rally. Well, back then for me it was after doing this workout. So I went and threw up. I was so ashamed of myself. I was like, I, you can't I, hack I'm it. I'm a piece of crap. I I'm the worst. I can't work out and not puke. I was so ashamed of myself. But looking back, I was probably just like going hard. Yeah, in the paint. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I I've never. I was always a guy, so I never did that. But um, but <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, I, I get it, though. It's, I have some things I could say, but I won't. Yeah, you can't. It's 2021. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Politically correct. but Censored. Yes. So the story AJ has is pretty cool because it might be the first time in history it's ever happened. Yep. But it's definitely the first time in recorded. Visually. And when I, visually. When mm-hmm. I say recorded, I don't mean recorded history. I mean, like, someone recorded it. Is a tortoise making a kill. Yep. And they're herbivores. Uh, Yeah, so according to ScienceAlert.com, some biologists and the equivalent of DNRs in England, whatever they are. Okay. um, Some university uh, biologists got on film this female tortoise uh, deliberately attacking this flightless bird. And the the coming joke is it's the slowest kill ever. I mean, the, the turtle's just slowly creeping in and the bird can't fly and it it extends his neck out and chomps away and eventually uh kills the bird you're probably seeing the video right now or about to you have the video right there oh yeah yeah go ahead and play it for him let's do this okay the bird the bird's got somewhere to go like he doesn't have to stay there and apparently, like the as they're watching this, they're like, "Oh my gosh, this has never happened!" And they're everybody's freaking out, trying to uh, maintain their excitement because they're like cheering is, for the this. This doesn't happen. They're they're herbivores. Why are they? He's moving slow. The bird is like, why isn't the bird just? He almost seems move. a little protective. The over bird his will stump. not fly away. I don't know what kind of bird that is. Maybe it's like a mating stump, like grouse have, like where they they're not giving up their stump. It's a oh okay. Yeah, is he trying to fight? Oh, did he just snatch Oh, he him got up? him. He got it. Right in the head. Yep. What a dumb... You know what? I don't feel bad for that bird. There's a lot of ways to get away from a tortoise, yeah, and you he did a bad job. You're born with wings. Yeah. Do you ever... Che- when you watch a nature show, do you cheer for the lion? Do you cheer for the gazelle? What's your... Oh, I always cheer for the bad guys. Just like you taught me that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm just feels better. Yeah. Yeah, they're not known to be... Uh, aggressive like that i mean they just eat grubs people you know there's been studies similar to our our arson raptor episode where there's stories of people seeing things but never actually getting it on camera so it's like we don't know if the if the tortoise sat on the bird or if it like scared it to death things like that this is the first visual i might slow-mo that video 
and zoom in and try and make sure there's no fishing line on that bird's foot or something. <laughs> like, yeah, like he's tied down. Like they like, set him up. They're like, wow. I mean, yeah, it's sciencealert.com. Sounds like a – who knows? I mean, there's evidence of it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's there. It's real. It looks like it's in a zoo, though. Um, It's – Is it being filmed through glass? I don't think so. Interesting. I don't know. <coughs> there's an Instagram page that Joe Rogan talks about all the time. And then, like, it's gotten a lot of publicity because of that. And it's, like, nature. Nature is metal. Nature is metal. And it's, it's a, nice. like, killing, nature killing nature. So, you know, it was a hawk killing a duck or whatever it might be. And it was just showing those things. And the outcry of, of the, the, the terribleness of the reality of what it is is now they're, like, getting banned on a lot of things. And there's, like, a bunch of talk about it. Like, people oh, saying Oh, you how can't talk about how nature really is? Right, you have to act. You have to like bury your head and act like it's not real, which is it, some metal. <laughs> yeah, it's. I've followed that page for a while now, and some of the stuff on there, it's it's really, really, really hard to watch some of the things that are on there. Yeah. But you, the more you look at it and recognize it for what it is, you mm-hmm. just understand that that's reality. And we, what we've done is just separated ourselves so far that we just can't stand. We can't bear the sight. Yeah. But you know what we can do? We can go to other countries and, and, and blow them up or they can come here and blow us up. And everyone's like, well, that's just the way it is. That's war. But, 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 not, not, but not animals. Nope. And, not, and not even two animals that live together and have to survive. That's, it's, that's not okay. It's funny when some people say, like, all animals are compassionate. And it's like, oh. There's like, no. name one besides Dinu. <laughs> and he's Although, not that compassionate. Don't feed him for a day. We'll see how he acts. Right, Sometimes you hear the stories about like the the cheetah that raised the impala fawn or yeah. whatever that is, and I, I don't know what that's about. It's a little I mean, weird. That happens, sure. It happens, but is it the thing that cats do where they like to toy with their food? Right. Yeah. Is it that? It's like, oh well, you're here hanging out, and you're a fun thing, so I, I'm okay with it. Yeah. Uh, this occurred off an island, off of uh, England. So an island off an island. Okay. Yeah, it, it is interesting, but yeah, it just it makes it's rather silly when you see people getting ra- like really upset about nature being nature. When I grew up, that's all I watched was I watched National Geographic, Discovery Channel, uh, PBS, any nature show I could get my hands on. I remember sitting in my room as a kid. I had this big green box. I wonder where it is now. I bet the facts are all outdated <laughs> and wrong. But it got flooded. I'm sure it did from the flood. <laughs> um, the great big book of everything. <clears throat> no, it was uh, flashcards. And on each flashcard was a picture of an animal, and on the back was like every like a bunch of cool facts about it, where they live, and everything like that. I would sit in my room and read those nonstop, like, and I gained like a lot of weird information, like the biggest sea turtle breeding grounds, like when the event takes place, it's called the Aribata, and I know all about it, and I know how the <laughs> turtles get there, I know how they lay their eggs, I know how many, then when they hatch. Like dealing with all the predators, it's like a mad dash that there's little bodies are hauling butt as well, What's fast it? The Aribata mm-hmm. sounds like a tech company or yeah. something. <laughs> and they're like, um, the turtles once they hatch, the sea turtles, it's like a death a mission to, to try and get to the uh, to try and get the water because all the seagulls and all the different animals there just to pick them apart. And like the very few that make it, even less than get past the the tide keeps pushing them back. And it's like that workout like sets them up for their life. And then they go into the ocean, and then they live their little lives, and then a lot of them get eaten there, and very few make it to their adulthood. But when they all come, it's called the Aribata. Yeah. When you were but, s- like, those facts is, like, that's what I read as a kid. So I've been around it my whole life, so it's, like, rather silly for me to have people be like, oh, like, you have to act like nature isn't nature and everything's compassion. It's like, you lay next to a, a – is your cat in your house compassionate? No, yeah, when the it's eagle, not. When the eagle comes yeah. takes your small dog, that's right. doesn't care. When you were saying something about rooting for the bad guy and then brought it to nature's metal, they had just recently posted something about, I think it was a water buffalo and a lion had gotten caught up in each other for about, like I think, an hour and a half. And the water buffalo ended up coming out on top and the lion died. And that was just a, a situation where you don't typically root for the lion because the, the lion is, is always looked at like the pre, like he's top the predator. Dog. Yeah, he's top dog there, but y- you f- you felt pretty bad for him. Like he was yeah. just he was just doing what he felt like he had to do, and just seeing him, the pictures of him just laying there like in defeat, like there was nothing he could do. Wow. He, he just died from his injuries. 
He just knew it was over. One of the sadder pictures or videos I've ever seen in my obsession with outdoor video content is a malnourished polar bear. Like, you know, oh, yeah. you know, it's like, yep. so what happened, right, is as uh, in the summer, as the uh, as the ice starts to melt and stuff like that, they're hunting grounds. Then it becomes like harder for them to hunt seals. Um, so once the ice starts to break up and stuff like that and it, like they get to desperation mode, like if I don't get a seal in the next couple of days, yep. I'm not going to make it. And then they get malnourished and then they slow down and then they just look terrible. They look weird when they're. Uh, malnourished and it's like man i hope he gets a seal i hope he gets a sea lion and that's like well do you feel bad for the sea lion right and it's like when you get right down to it every single living being consumes other living beings in order to gain energy to be able to survive whether you're eating a living plant or you're eating a living animal you're eating and consuming energy and to act like that's not the case is you know obviously what's wrong asinine yeah and it all comes from the sun yep which is pretty interesting. That's super cool. Photosynthesis. Another you word you probably don't it. know. <laughs> yes. Well, I know it from SpongeBob. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of in a different direction, but um, this is also something that I talk about when it's like perception becomes reality. So we've all seen like super villain movies and stuff and rooting for the bad guy again. Um, when they shoot somebody in a room, they hop in and they're all in black and you're two, two. Because they've got like James Bond. Yeah, like they've got suppressors on the end yep. of their gun. Not to be confused with silencers. Correct. Oh no. Yeah, they're, they're two different things. Oh, well, kind of. Me. I mean, I mean, a silencer people, doesn't really exist. Right. Okay. People yeah. think Hollywood thing. Yeah, I mean that's just a it, a name that was. It silences the gun, but it's not silence. Like, okay. Yeah, that's it's true. Still, yeah. <laughs> um. Anyhow, so going into this, um, I want to talk about suppressors, uh, which is the correct term for them. So. Suppressors, first and foremost, people have the um, the thought process that they completely silence the gun where you don't hear it. That's not true. They lower the decimals for sure. Um, and for instance, shooting a, um, a 300 Weatherby Magnum, if you had a suppressor in, the sound it would make would affect your ears to about the equal level as if you had normal earplugs in. So without earplugs on. So by mm. shooting a gun like that, without earplugs in can be really damaging though. So they say that shooting a, uh, a 300 Weatherby Magnum or a 300 Winchester Magnum or something of that caliber, if you shoot those without earplugs, which is what you do when you hunt, right? Mm -hmm. You can cause permanent ear damage. Um, if it's the right angle, the right this, uh, muzzle brakes change the, the, the how loud and how much the yeah. compression is too. But essentially a suppressor just suppresses the sound so it isn't quite as loud, which makes the shooting experience better for the person. So if you're in Europe um, and some other countries as well, I believe I, I know for sure in Europe, but different countries in Europe, <clears throat> it is illegal to hunt without a suppressor simply for the safety of your ears, just like oh. the, it's illegal not to wear a seatbelt in a car. Uh, in some states, it's illegal not to wear a helmet on a motorcycle. It's looked at. Don't get me started. I, I don't like to be told what... I have to do ever. <laughs> um, I really hate that. But at least it's like looked at like, hey, man, you got to protect your ears. So the perception there is like, oh, yeah, you'd be irresponsible not to have a suppressor because, geez, don't you care about your ears? Especially when hunting, you're not wearing ear earphones when you're hunting. Right. Obviously, nowadays they have like Walkers was the first company to really, um, you know, push this is you they have headphones that have a radio in them where you can turn it on, where you can hear what's going on outside outside your earphones. You can hear it because it plays it over. It sounds like they're almost talking into a microphone like we are now yeah. inside the uh, headphones. And then when there's a loud sound, it just cancels it out. So, so over a certain decibel level, it'll click off and it won't allow that range to come through. Right. So those are really cool. But frankly, I don't like to wear headphones when I'm hunting all the time. Yeah. Right. So, um, and it would be nice to not have to at the range sometimes, too, with communicating. And, you know, those headphones aren't cheap and, you know, th so well, that sort of thing. Earmuffs. Yeah, ear yeah, that's what I mean. Not, I not, like, not like you go out there with yeah. your AirPods. You got Beats on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. So, anyhow, talking about the suppressors. So, the perception in Europe is obviously that, hey, these things are a good protective device to help the person. Now, in the United States, they're looked at completely differently. So, up until 2016... 
the way the suppressor laws worked were if you wanted to go buy a suppressor you would go you would fill out an application and you would go to the sheriff in your town the um in the in the area well what would happen is a lot of liberal sheriffs in this in the different uh, um, uh, cities throughout the country would just deny everybody because they didn't agree with people having them. So mm -hmm. they decided nobody should have them. So regardless if it was a legit, you know, um, application, they're not going to sign it. They're, nobody's getting them. They'll just bury that paperwork and you'll never see the light of day. So you won't get it. So this and this was Obama who did this. So in a way, you know, there were some positives to this, um, but there's also some negatives. He switched it in 2016. He changed the law to make it where it goes to the ATF. So instead of going to the sheriff's office, it becomes a federal thing mm -hmm. um, so that the local sheriffs, it kind of takes politics out of it. That's how it's pitched. Um, the negatives of that are this. So the that was kind of how they pitched it to the gun right people, the people that want gun rights, uh, Second Amendment lovers. That's how they pitched it to them. Say, hey, now you won't have to deal with the sheriffs. And because uh, there's imagine in some areas you just straight up couldn't get it because your sheriff didn't agree with them. OK, so then. They made it federal. Well, here's the process for it, though. You have to fill out an ATF Form 4 application, which mm -hmm. is pretty in-depth, but okay. So you fill out this application. Then you have to submit these photographs, and they have to fingerprint you. Mm -hmm. So you have to get your fingerprint card, everything like that. And then on top of that, there's a $200 transfer tax just for buying it. So on top of whatever it costs, you have to pay a $200 tax on top of that just for owning it. Um, now, I've he heard that... I I've never bought a suppressor, so I don't know. But I've heard that when you go to pick out your suppressor, you do all everything that you just said, as well as you have to pay the full amount of that suppressor. And then if you're approved, you get the suppressor. If you're not approved, then that suppressor does not go back into circulation. And the reason for that... And you've paid the full amount. And the reason for that is because the application is... The application they submit for you this uh this uh atf form 4 application is set to your name so that su suppressor is set to that application for life so if you're not actually able to get it okay. then they can't give it to you so then they can't it's it's gone it's gone because that's okay. how that's how scared of this device is that they, <laughs> yeah. they, they you know they're that scared of this device so the other problem with this is the application so you're paying for the suppressor you're paying for the application you're paying all this money and going through all this process, which is, you know, pretty anti-Second Amendment, if you ask me to be fingerprinted over something that makes your gun quieter. Um, and that you're, um, you know, the, the most common one bought is for a 22 caliber and 30 caliber rifles. Mm -hmm. Those are the, like, that. that's what they're normally bought for. But you go through, the, you got to go, go through this entire process. Then that normally takes four to six months for them to give it to you is what the ATF says. <laughs> but yeah. most people are saying it's more than 14 months. So you're like buying the suppressor way in advance, doing all this stuff, and you may or may not get it, and you're still looking at that long of a period before you can actually take it into your possession. Yeah. Now. And they're insanely expensive. <clears throat> yeah, they're not a normal. You know, you're looking at anywhere from two hundred to a thousand dollars normally. Wow. Yeah, depending on. They're a lot. They're a lot. The bigger, the bigger the caliber the rifle, normally the more expensive, and obviously there's more brands that are more expensive than others, and so on. When I when I first saw the real ones as opposed to the Hollywood ones, they're a lot bulkier than they perceive on you know James Bond flicks where you yeah. know, he's like screwing it in. I don't know if that's really the case. Yeah, yeah, Is you it? do screw, you it, screw in. it in. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah, and it it depends. Like I said, there's better ones than others, and these ones knock down the decimals this much. But the perception on it is like, I guess, is that if people can't hear you firing the gun, then it's more dangerous that you could hurt somebody with less people knowing, I guess, is like the way they, they pitch it. But if you're a law-abiding citizen who isn't killing someone and you're using this so that you can take your daughter hunting and you're not blowing out each other's eardrums in the blind because you've had it happen to you a million times hunting with me. Right. Um, you know, they're just a tool, so it's not as doggone loud. Um, in addition to that, you're not blowing out game everywhere. So if you shoot your elk with a suppressor as opposed to, you know, the loudest gun of all time, then you're not clearing out the whole side of the mountain on top of it. Now, with it being an extension of your gun, because it's third party technically, does distance and all, like all everything you factor in, regardless, does any of that change when you like have, your ballistics? Yeah, I'm like if you're using a I long, don't know, a I long don't know. rifle. Um, I think it does affect it. I don't know 
I how? Think I, how I think it's different for yeah whatever you're doing because they make silent they make I see I just did it yeah. they make suppressors for shotguns my friend Tommy just mm. got one okay. and it sounds insane like it, it it sounds great okay you're not killing yourself every time you go duck hunting I bet it would I bet it would greatly impact a spread on a duck gun out yeah because what then what are you using a choke for right well yeah exactly or is it is it the choke so i guess we don't know enough about that i just wanted to talk about the fact of what a suppressor is Mm -hmm. what the process is to get one if you're looking to get one and kind of how strange it is that the perception that this device is such a terrible terrible thing in the united states when in other countries it's celebrated as a safety measure that you should absolutely be taking just very strange so i went to williams the our local gun range to they had this day where you could shoot a whole bunch of different guns <laughs> and some of the guns they had there had silencers on them and i have a few videos you call it a silencer again a suppressor i watched too many movies i don't know if you'll be able to it's hear definitely it. a hollywood thing that's my shot wow what 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 was it nine mil okay yeah, I mean, I, I just think they're cool. I, I mean, they're nice to not have to have such a loud thing going off. And um, for earmuffs, for communication, for teaching people, um, less likely to be scared of a gun. I know that if you could teach a kid to shoot and it wasn't so doggone loud, I just don't get why when that technology is there, it makes it safer for the person shooting, why they're so scared of it. it makes no it, sense it to me. It comes down to, I think... Like, Europe finally got something right before us. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think it comes down to the movies. What you see in the movies is, oh, all these the, the yeah. crazy people assassins, with the guns, the yeah. assassins. Like, that's what you're going to go do with it automatically when there's plenty of other uses. Also, there's a uh, oil can uh, or an oil filter you can buy and screw into the end. I've never done this because it's a <laughs> – don't do it. Don't do it. But there's an oil filter you can buy and screw into the end of your gun that essentially does the same thing. It is the same oh, I see same as a suppressor. Oh, wow. Yeah. I'm, That's some hillbilly thing. Yeah. yeah. I like well, it costs 40 bucks instead of hundreds, <laughs> except you get a prison sentence. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that never made any sense to me, um, since apparently this is the podcast of things that don't make sense Question to everything. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> swans. So <laughs> I stop looking at me, swan. Ah, you beat me to it. Yeah, you knew I was going to do it. But uh, um, shampoo is better. No, so <laughs> I have never understood. I've never liked swans. Let, let's start there. So I come in with a biased kind of like how Europe did with the uh, the suppressors versus the United, United States. But I never liked swans. So number one, I was attacked by a swan on a kayak once. I'm not the guy that drowned, obviously. But there has been people that have been drowned by. There was a video of someone who actually died from it. He drowned because what? he was in his kayak. And the swan flipped him over, and he couldn't get out, and it killed what? him. What? Yeah, it beat the hell out of him. Yeah, they're mean. They're they're very, very, very territorial. Big birds, too. People look at them, and they're like, man, they're beautiful, but they are jerks. Something I read that swans will do is they will go around ponds. So, like, let's say this is where they're going to nest. They'll go around, find all the other nests, and they're smart enough to break open all the other eggs so that the ducks and the geese that would be born there won't be born. They'll go around and kill them all. Just so there's no competition for their young. They're savages. I mean savages. Yeah. So they'll do that. Good for the bad guy. Yeah. Not this time. I like ducks too much. So um, I, I'm the only one that should be. I want to kill them. Yeah. I wanna, yeah. Um, but they'll go around and do that. In addition, they'll they'll attack just about any other bird. I mean, they're, they're – I believe that. And they're very, very defensive over their property. Now, I saw something on Facebook. This is a couple years ago at a um, – uh, Michigan Wetland Wonder. So Harsons Island uh, is actually where I cut my teeth in duck hunting. Um, but Harsons Island is there's big draw area there for uh, for uh, for managed waterfowl areas. So basically, you can go there, you get in a lottery draw, and then when your number is called for your party, you get to pick one of the areas there to hunt, and you get to hunt it for the day, and nobody else is going to be there. It's pretty cool. Um, and if you're a duck hunter. The number one problem you have when you first start out is, well, where am I going to hunt? Along with how do I afford decoys and a gun? Mm. But um, that's the number one issue. So 
there was a post. Someone posted a picture of a dumpster filled with like tons and tons and tons of swans, wow. like tons of swans. And they said that the DNR there got a, uh, a, a, a permit to go kill a bunch of them. Well, you can imagine. I don't know whether it's true or not, so I don't want to play into that. I saw the picture in the dumpster, right? and here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying it happened. I'm saying if it did happen, here's probably why. They're trying so hard to manage it for ducks and duck hunting and making that a migratory flyway for ducks to come through, and these swans going around killing every nest, killing every duck, all the, the resident ducks. So a lot of ducks migrate. So they'll their um, their breeding grounds are in Canada and uh, um, northern UP in our flyway. And then they come down through Michigan uh, as the water starts to freeze over and they get pushed down until they get to their summering grounds, uh, which would be down south Louisiana, Arkansas, Texas. They'll stay there and then they'll migrate back when it's time to breed again the following year. So that's like their migration pattern. Well, there's also resident ducks because if things don't freeze up completely or for long enough, then they can kind of just stick around. Mm -hmm. So some geese and ducks have learned to live here year round. So especially for those, the ones that lay their eggs here and the nests that they lay here, especially geese. Geese are the biggest residents we have here. Um, They'll go around and break up those nests and break up those eggs and kill them. They'll drown them if they can get a hold of the ducklings. They are just savages. So you can imagine if they're trying to manage for as many ducks and geese as possible for hunters' opportunities, and all these swans are just murdering everything, you can see pretty quick where they're like, swans aren't going anywhere. They're not going to go extinct, and these ones suck. Can we get rid <laughs> you know, You can see why they would fill a dumpster full of them, and I would feel nothing. And I know some states, they have like trumpet swans and uh, uh, Great Plains swans, I think is what it's called. I don't, there's hunts for them. Mm-hmm. I think in South Dakota and other states, you can actually I know Montana does it. Okay, yeah, you um, can hunt them. Yeah, because w- I was out there pheasant hunting in October, I think. And there was swans everywhere. It was snowy out. We were walking through a foot of snow wherever we were. And there were also people there swan hunting. And I think you get one tag a year for a swan. I, yeah, I'm not sure I, exa- I believe it is one a year. I'm not sure exactly how it works, whether it's a draw or what. But there's plen- we saw an insane amount of swans. I wonder what they taste like. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine doing a cook and clean video <laughs> of a swan <laughs> and posting and just seeing the hatred you get? Because people love swans. It's like for doing some a reason. dove. People hated the dove too. Yeah, it's a songbird. It, yeah, the bird yeah. of peace. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine they would taste that great. A big bird like that that's always trying to fight everything, all stressed out and angry. They're big. You get a lot of meat. Well, yeah. When, when we're in a turkey, right? <clears throat> that's true. Close, at least. But they're not trying to fight everything. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not comparing the meat quality. I'm just saying like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Saying size. Yeah. When we were testing the boat for Ryan that on a lake we were on, there was that group of swans that you say, I mean, if it's them or not, but they're always there. They're Every, always there. Same and, they're, and they were the only swans on that yep. lake. So they, they, they could be taking out all the smaller yeah. ducks, ducks geese. geese, and be like, we're, we're staying here. Yeah. yeah. They will. 100%. They, they are there every year in that same cove, and they, they raise their little swan devil babies, yep. and then they leave. They're and then so they come back. They're so pretty, though. They mean yeah. love. Yeah. They'd kill you if they could. They want to. <laughs> they Try. killed that one guy. <laughs> yeah, they, they did kill. They did kill They kill do kill. Guy. Yep. Trust isn't built in a day. It's built over time. The early hours and the late nights. It's built by doing the work and pushing the limits every day. Because the promises we make are the promises we were built to keep. If you'd like to help support the Greenway Outdoors, please like and comment on this podcast and subscribe to all of our channels. Something I want to talk about is the PSC bows we just got in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we just got a, a, a pretty solid shipment of uh, bows from our friend Cade over at PSE. So we, I'm super pumped about them. I got the new Stealth Mach 1. Yeah, no, yours is sick. It's, like, a, it's, it's awesome. It's a carbon bow. I got the um, Kuyu camo on it. It's cool. It, it is pretty cool. And then all of their accessories from there. Um, we also got some bow fishing rigs. 
So I'm pretty pumped about those as well and getting to try those out. Yeah. Um, we just got them all put together. And then we also got um, – AJ just got uh, the Brute. Yep, the Brute. Uh, which is like um, – First bow. Yeah, I would say that the, it's like their base model start-out package. Ryan, you wanted mine. I had a – I've been shooting PSE my whole life. I had a Vendetta XS, which was like mm-hmm. all in. I have a lot of money wrapped up in that bow, and it is – well, it shoots Sweet. great. Yes, it does. So I'm I'm kind of new to the whole game. I had a bow when I was really young. I think I bought one for my birthday when I was like ten. Just and, a recurve? Uh, no, it was a compound bow. <laughs> Sucked. Oh. It was. I bought it. My, <laughs> I, I bought it myself with my birthday money. Forty bucks. Yeah, I, I think it was like a, like a hundred and twenty or something like that. Okay. Okay. Um, well, at least you. Yeah. Yeah. So bigger birthdays than we had, huh, AJ? One hundred twenty bucks <laughs> rolling deep. We don't live by people. Yeah. Anymore, I, so. Yeah. yeah. M- must be nice. Um. So I, I never really got into it that much and then laid it to rest for many, many years. And then you gave me your bow. So now I'm really getting into understanding the mechanics and the physics of it and at what distance, what what should I do, at what height should I, what, what should I do, or all that sort of stuff. And while I'm shooting, I have no idea whether this is the correct way to shoot or not, but it's been working for me as long... I stick out my tongue. <laughs> yeah. I can, obviously, I, I know the right form to shoot the bow. I can set myself up in a consistent, like, fo- I have consistent form when I'm shooting the bow. And then something I have been doing, and I've noticed it's helped me, when I'm shooting at anything probably over 15 yards, if I'm holding steady on the target, I tend to, like, wobble around and shake, just as anyone would. Wobble with it, wobble with it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I'm just, like, slowly dipping dipping up and over and side to side over the target yeah it's like if you're zoomed in with a scope let's say with a gun and you're zoomed in really far on something like 400 yards away and you're trying to hold it still you'll learn even the littlest milla movement of tininess is like so drastic at the farther the distance and now and And with a bow it's yeah and now you're you're stretched all out and you're holding your arm way out here with with weight on the end now thankfully that bow isn't that heavy but still it's weight so what I've learned to do is go a little bit higher than my target and then drop down, come down through the target very, very slowly. And it's almost as if I can draw a much straighter line coming s- slowly straight down. And once that pin crosses over my target, that's when I squeeze the trigger. Okay. And I'm not, I'm not yanking it. I'm not pulling it. It's all very fluent. <clears throat> and Asia's seen it. Like I was hitting dimes the other day. I tried it. It didn't work for me. Yeah, I, I have no idea whether that's how you're supposed to do it, but it's been working. The checklist that I go through is obviously you have your sight. So this is the checklist I always use when shooting archery is you have your sight and you need to look through that first. So I pull back, I find my anchor point, which is consistently the same every time. And then I bring the, um, I, I bring the string right to the tip of my nose mm-hmm. and I look straight through the peep with the string directly on my nose. So those are the two things that I, very first things I look for. My arm is bent in just just a smidge. And then what I'll do is I'll take that peep and I'll line it up with my sight. So the sight has different pins on it, but I make sure those circles are lined up perfectly. So when I'm looking through it, it's like perfect. The circles are the circles. At that point, looking through the double circles together, I find my target. So. And especially depending on how the sun is and everything else, that can be difficult. But I, I, I find my exact target that I'm looking for. Then once I find it and it's in those two circles, I'll figure out. I already know the distance because I already took that calculation in as I was right. pull, pulling back the bow. And then based on the distance, I'll pick whichever pin it is and I'll slowly move it there. And then you know it's the slow movement of the pin getting to the spot. And I'll I'll have it there. And as soon as it touches that spot, I squeeze the trigger. And uh, that's how it works for me. I've never done like the gradual come down through it, but that's the the checklist that I have that works for me. But <clears throat> you know, where things get complicated and where that little trick has come in handy um, is, let's say, deer's coming in, right? Because when we're shooting in the backyard, oh, it's so nice to be able to go slow and do this and do that. Right. But when you've got a deer in front of you, you've got movement. You've got variables. You've got when you have to pull back based on when they might not be looking. Mm-hmm. You've got all these new variables that you don't get when you're out in the yard. And, and then, you, you, then you pull back and have to wait four minutes for and it that's, to... And that's, that's where I'm headed with this is that pullback is like, let's say you pull it back. Now you've got about 45 seconds to uh, a minute and a half 
till you're able to actually shoot, right? Because just the variables of now the deer turned facing you, so you don't have a shot at the vitals or or whatever it might be. Well, at that point, if you're getting a little tired, now luckily the bow that I have, the new Mach 1 uh, from PSE, uh, which is just insane. I mean, the let off is so much that I can hold that thing back forever. I mean, once you get past the break point, it lets off so much that I can be really comfortable it's for a wild. while. It's wild. But that being said, your arm's still just standing. You know, you stand for a while in one spot, you get tired. You know what I mean? So once you're kind of tired and a little, then, you know, using a technique like that as a backup will help when you're a little bit tired or, you know, stressed or whatever it might mm -hmm. be that can help you be a little bit more still. Cause moving makes it easier to be still like drawing a straight line is easier than holding it in one spot or, you know, whatever it right. might be. So I can, I can see where that would be helpful in certain instances. What, what's your stance? Like what, what you're completely new to it. Yeah. yeah. So how, how do you, like, how do you, how do you like the brute, the PSE fun. brute? It's really, really fun. I'm still learning my own checklist. Uh, so it, it's just been a lot of shooting, you know, mm. 10 arrows a day, figuring things out. It, it, overall, it's a lot of fun. I, I, I'm surprised. Well, not surprised, but it would have been nice to have gotten into it a lot younger. Yeah. Um, but having a high quality bow work the way it would for a novice like me, I'm very satisfied. Yeah. It's, you it's great. You feel like with that bow and that package runs someone normally about 600 bucks without the arrows. Right. Uh, but that package for 600 bucks you never shooting a bow in your life, and then us teaching you, you're hitting you're hitting really well pretty quick. Yeah, I mean for yeah. A, for a beginner package, the PSE brute is pretty solid. It's definitely even if you're not into hunting, it's definitely a great little hobby to have because you can almost as long as you're doing it safe, you, you could probably do that in most American backyards. Oh yeah, yeah. It is. <clears throat> don't be shooting into the back of your neighbor's house, but no. There, there's definitely ways you could do it because it's not like shooting a gun. You don't have to be out in the middle of nowhere at the gun range. Just set it up right and do it. And right, I would recommend it to a lot of people. They're just looking for something to do. Yeah, I, I would say so too. Um, a lesson that AJ got to learn today, um, two of them actually. One, <clears throat> we were seeing how far our arrows were penetrating at 20 yards when we were shooting, and I was like, look, you know, how far does it go into our um, our blackout target when it hits it? It's a block target. You know, you can use broadheads in and everything like that. And it's like, there's this much arrow sticking out. I said, now hold that arrow and try and slam it into the target with your hand and try and put it in that deep. Um, yeah. And he like tried it and obviously you can't, you know yeah. what I mean? Cause that, you, it goes in like three inches. And that gives you the perspective much, on yeah. how much power that arrow has when it hits. Now imagine, cause he was asking, he said, cause like I said, it's AJ's brand new to it. He said his, 25 yards is that like are you good to kill a deer at 25 yards and i said yeah and that's why i showed him this i said now imagine that's with just a field tip mm -hmm. imagine a hypodermic broadhead you know that's precision made to just cut through things i go you could see why a razor blade sharpened with a hypodermic needle at the end could cut through an entire body yeah because imagine the force it would have at 25 yards when you yourself can't even push an arrow as hard as that would go imagine a drill bit yeah. with a hypodermic needle on the end and it's just spinning like you wouldn't believe just right through that so it is a drill hot yeah hot, hot. Going through. <laughs> which yeah. reminds me speaking of drill bits it's insanely easy to get into key locks oh yeah so jeffrey jeffrey from traveling from oklahoma we had gotten wind that we didn't think jeffrey had cleaned his um <laughs> cleaned his gun so I'm like, we got to get it out of there. Oh, it's one of the cases. We have so many gun cases, and his had his locks on it. I'm like, we got to get these locks off, and he's not coming today, and I want to get this done now, so let's do this. So, Ryan, go ahead. How'd you get the? These are just standard locks. They're, they're master T locks. Yeah, they're master locks, TSA approved for flying and everything. And so you come to me and say, we got to get these guns out of here. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I got some uh, tools here. So I, I get out the Salzal, and I'm, like, trying my best to cut through this thing, and I have – the the metal cutting blade on it and mm -hmm. everything finally get through it but the way the the gun case is set up is really good so you can't get the lock off mm -hmm. unless the lock is unlocked <laughs> so we're like sitting there trying 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 to wiggle this thing out get it just right you know i was like you know what let me just try something so i just go get a giant drill bit look at the keyhole 
jam that sucker in there and let it crank. And I'm, I'm just drilling straight through that lock. And within seconds, within seconds, it came unlocked. It took nothing. It, any lock you see, just take a drill bit to it. You'll be in in no time. Yep. Yeah, right down the center of it. Robbery's going up 10% now. <laughs> yeah. Another thing that I want to talk about is a lesson that AJ got to learn today. So we were talking about this when he was um, when he was shooting. One of the things that he asked me, and you can get that perception too, is when you're taking a step back and you're like 25 yards from the target, and you're shooting your bow. It's like, is it is this deadly at this distance? You know, if you never shot archery before, that's like a fair question. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it slows down the further you go back, but you wonder if it's going to be able to penetrate through or not. Right, right. Especially as you get farther, you know the arrow is going to slow down, and you know you just have this different perception. It's not a gun, so it's like a lot of variables are there. And AJ's bow is set at 60 pounds. I think yours is set at 60 pounds and mm -hmm. mine's 70, um, which is way more than enough. You know, you can effectively hunt with a 35, 40-pound bow if uh, right. if you know what you're doing. Ted Nugent gets mad at you if it's over 50. You know what I mean? <laughs> so um, when he talks about it. So one of the things that I did was I said, okay, AJ, let's take, you know, shoot from 25 yards. So he shoots and we see the impact. We use a block target. It's one of the foam block targets that you can use for, uh, when you are um, uh, shooting a broadhead, you can you can shoot a broadhead into them. So, but it's a smaller foam target. It's only about you know 18 by 18. I think yeah. is what it is square. Yeah. And I said, okay, go ahead and shoot from 25 yards. He shoots, and we see that the arrow goes clean through, um, like most of the way where the fletchings are now at the at the target. You know, so the arrow mo most of the arrow went all the way through. I said, okay, now hold that target still and pick up, pull that arrow out. And I want you, as hard as you can, to slam that arrow in with force and see how deep you can penetrate the arrow. And uh, how far did you get it in? Yeah, I mean, I tried to, like, to shank it, you know, and it was five inches maybe. Right, right. So it's a good lesson to teach, like, a kid is, like, take an arrow and, like, slam it into it and see how far into the target they can kind of push it. And it gives you an idea of the force that the arrow has when hitting the target, right. that it goes in so far. Right. Um, and I said, now imagine a hypodermic needle um, at the end of it because the broadheads that I shoot, I shoot Rage uh, 2 blade, and they've got uh, mechanicals that have a hypodermic uh, uh, tip. And that thing's made to cut through stuff. I mean, that's hypodermic needles are what right. they, you know, they take your blood with. Uh, shout out Jenna. But uh, <laughs> yeah. when, you, when you shoot an arrow like that, it, it goes right through the deer, like hot, hot through the – I mean, it's like, uh, it's like a drill almost yeah. just – Boom, right through. Yep. Yeah. So that another lesson that we talked about was um, something that happened to me on my first deer and figuring out and accounting for different distances for, uh, for deer is important when deer hunting and understanding the variables when hunting, how it works when you see deer at different distances and how to account for that with your arrow. So a mistake I made when I was young, I practiced with my bow. I got good with it. I was hitting dimes at 10 yards and I was hitting quarters at 20 yards and I was hitting silver dollars at 30 yards. I was very happy with where I was at. And I went out, I had a PSE bow then as well. And I, I went into a tree stand for my first time and I sat up there and I, it, it didn't even occur to me that I just changed every variable possible. And I'm sitting up there, deer come in, I get buck fever, I get the adrenaline dump, I get all that. And I'm able to calm myself down because it's, it's doe. I had killed a bunch of deer already uh, with a rifle. So I'm like, okay, just get your act together, relax. I cool myself down. I get an opportunity to draw back on the deer. Now, I'm elevated 20 feet in a stand. Um, it was a, um, a ladder stand uh, that we had out, had out there for years. It's, I think it's still there. And um, I, I draw back, and the deer are about 10 yards from me. So if I was at the base of the ladder, they're 10 yards from me. So I draw back and I put my first pin, which is my 10 yard pin, right on the spot I want to shoot the deer. I get my, I go through my breathing, I go through all the, everything I'm supposed to do, everything's perfect. I slowly pull the release and I shoot. And I, when I let, when I pulled that, that trigger, I was like, I'm golden. That's, <laughs> I buried it. That is, I'm, call me, I don't know, Robin Hood. I smoked it. This thing's dead as a doornail. And I, within, a split second all my dreams were crushed because i saw the arrow go right over the deer's back and i'm like well, i did it perfect why did this happen to me and um 
that day I got to learn all about how the, the mystical flight of the arrow and yeah. how, how that works and how you have to take these variables into account, especially being elevated and the flight of the arrow. So a lot of people believe that an arrow flight is a straight line. But in all reality, when the arrow comes off the bow, it starts by immediately going upward. And a bullet does too. A bullet doesn't take a flat path to where it's going. It starts by going up and then going down. So it's more of an arch. So you see the arch here, and that's the flight of the arrow. Well, what you have to account for is when you elevate yourself or you change your elevation, is you have to account for the gravity that's being put on the arrow. So here, I'll go back actually one second. So if you're looking at this arc, this is the arc that takes place if you are flat to the ground, okay? So if you are flat to the ground and that's the arc that takes place, imagine if you elevate it and you point downwards, how that might impact that arc because this is the arc it takes when the gravity is consistent because it's shooting parallel to the ground. So when little Kyle was up here and he was in an elevated tree stand and the deer was down. Oh, man, I'm so good at drawing deer too, Whoa. everyone. Yeah, <laughs> beautiful. When I used my 10-yard pin, the arrow still, no matter what, even while pointing down, started in its upward trajectory. And then it never came back down. Now, what I saw in my sight was I thought it would go straight through the deer like that. But because the arrow started by going high, the gravity impact was not as great as if it was flat to the ground and being pulled to the ground the whole time. Because I was shooting with the gravity by shooting down, the arrow came off the rest high, like it always does, but it never got pulled back down in its arch right. to the 10-yard mark that it would normally be right. because I was elevated and I was working with the gravity. So when I put that 10-yard pin on and I didn't account for the fact that I was 20 feet in the air shooting straight down, that was the difference in, right. in missing the deer. So that I went back and I explained it to my dad and Pete, and of course they're like, well, yeah, uh, of course. I'm like, hey, um, <laughs> what variables are in play here? Because I just missed a deer. My dad's like, you missed? You know, they were pretty stunned. So what they did was <clears throat> Pete explained what I just explained to you, uh, probably more elegantly. But um, he said, yeah, when you're elevated and you're shooting down at a target, if you're using the same 10-yard pin, your arrow is going to hit way high because it's it's you're not accounting for, um, for that drop. Uh, because the gravity pull on the arrow is different. So I guess what I'm trying to say is you need to know to shoot low if you elevate yourself and you're shooting straight down at a target. You have to account for that because of the impact on the arrow. So what they did was they moved my pin up. So my 10-yard pin got moved way higher, which means I'm aiming way lower okay? right, right. When, I'm, when I'm pulling it back. So by aiming lower and moving my pin upward, I was able to account for... For that so we took a target out there put it roughly where the deer were and i was pulling the trigger with the higher pin and i was hitting the target properly and then i ended up killing a deer out of that stand we packed everything in i went back out for the evening hunt got a deer that night so if you talk about a like a tv show episode wrapped up in a lesson yeah. right there for us that was the day to yeah yeah where were you ryan where were you aj but uh <laughs> that was uh <laughs> you well, ryan wasn't thought of and uh yep. yeah, <laughs> um, i was like for <laughs> you're like where were you and you're like i'm sorry <laughs> um but that was a, that was an interesting lesson for me is like you know going out and the whole point of the story is obviously to teach a cool lesson about how the flight of the arrow is impacted by gravity but in addition to that is going out and practicing in the area that you're going to be in right um if you have the if you have private land especially you're, you're way blessed where you can take the tree, if you use a climber, if you use a, a ladder stand, whatever it is, take a target out there with you and get your pen, uh, pin zeroed in for you know the different shooting lanes that you have to practice for these situations because it's hard enough, all the variables, like a deer comes in, how far away are you, deer? What angle are you <coughs> at? When can I pull back so you're not looking at me? When can I make the right move? When can <laughs> I draw back? Okay, now I've got to line up these circles. Okay, now I've got to use the correct pin for what it is. Oh, God, he moved 10 yards farther. Okay, what does that mean? You know, all these variables that you have going on, you better at least know for the different distances at the different heights what your bow is going to do. Yeah, There's a lot of geometry and math yeah. that, that needs to be acknowledged Yeah, in archery. Eighth grade math's coming in handy now. <laughs> the discipline, though, of like, I mean, you can you can practice out in your yard all you want, 
with a target that is completely parallel with you and that's good because it gives you the 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 understanding of you know finding those circles each and every time the fundamentals finding the target the fundamentals how you release you right know. but it's a whole nother it's a whole nother ball game once you get out there and then you got the pressure on yeah and just the other thing if you don't have a range finder make sure you know your distances because like you just said if you don't know your distances or how if you don't know your distances you're going to screw up if you, especially if you don't have a range finder so a good thing to do is if you know where you're going to hunt go out there and pace out different trees or stumps or rocks and say, well, I know that rock is 10 yards away. I know that tree over there is 20 yards away. Somewhere in the middle is 15. And if you're elevated, what does that mean? Right. Yeah. You know, what does that mean? With uh, all the excitement with the new bows, there's additional excitement with the uh, new guns that I and us are all getting, which yeah. is pretty sweet. Well, this is your <coughs> first gun, right? First ever. Yeah. First firearm. Yeah. Just like a kid. On Christmas. Our sponsor, cool. Weatherby, who makes just high-quality, high-quality guns. And, I, you know, they've had that prestigious name for so long, and it's uh, such a family business. Um, good Christian people that are really, really, really focused on making the best ammunition and the best guns in the market. And we're honored to work with them. And we've had nothing but good luck with them. And AJ, they have um, a, a new, well, I guess it's about a year and a half, two years old line of shotguns called the Element which is their mid-level uh, shotgun. And AJ is going to be getting a 12-gauge element in tungsten, which is their tungsten model. So the barrel mm. is gray, the action's gray, and then the stocks are black. And it is sweet, man. Oh, yeah. It looks <clears throat> awesome. No home invasion at my house. <laughs> That's right. right. That's right. This is your first gun, period. So oh, yeah. what are you most excited to do with it? Um, clays, ducks. Clays. Clays? Yeah. Clays. Yeah. I, we can open them up to the world of sporting clays too. Which for a first gun, especially with you being like a homeowner and everything, mm -hmm. that is probably the best gun to have. A shotgun is the best for home protection because that mm -hmm. darn scatter gun is not going to go through the walls and shoot someone next door in the next True. room over. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it'll mess up the person in front of you. Yep. And on top of that, this is a hunting gun, so you can do whatever you want with this. Right. And 12 gauge is great. Yeah, I mean, you can shoot clays you can upland hunt for birds you can uh waterfowl hunt for birds you could turkey hunt with it you could squirrel hunt with mm -hmm. it you can i mean pretty much anything it, it's uh, rabbits it, it's pretty cool for small game for birds for waterfowl it's it's you shoot geese with it i mean it's 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 a it's a sweet rig so versatile I'm, yeah i'm not to mention like you're just getting into it but you don't realize like you're getting like the, getting a Weatherby shotgun is like getting the Ferrari of guns. <laughs> yeah. That like people be like, oh, okay. Well, oh, you got that one. Must yeah. be, it must be nice. Yeah. You know? What was your first gun? Uh, my first gun was a Weatherby um, SA08, which is a uh, um, so it's kind of an interesting. I think they still make it. Um, they still have that that model uh, SA08. Probably not the one I had back in the day. Mm -hmm. But um, <clears throat> that one there was a. Uh, um, it had two different uh, springs in it, so if it was uh, if you were shooting like clays and stuff, you'd put the lighter spring in it for like the lighter action rounds, and then you'd put the stiffer one in for the for the uh, heavier action wow. ones, like duck loads and stuff like that. And it was a uh, um, yeah, I, I I've had nothing but good luck. I mean, as a kid, that was a great gun to kick around with, um, and that was uh, Scott had the same shotgun, so that's yeah. what I. I got into my the first gun I ever used. My dad was more of a rifleman. He didn't shoot clays and stuff. So yeah, he, my dad was a precision shooter with rifles, and that's what he taught me <laughs> to be. So it was like shotguns were like an afterthought. So it wasn't like my first, right? You know, I had four rifles before I had one shotgun. The first gun that I really got to use hunting and like when my dad, when I was younger, my dad trying to get me into upland bird hunting. What he started me on was, I don't even know how old this gun is. It, it's probably older than the 1950s. Okay. It's, it's old. It's a single shot, break action, uh, and it's got a hammer, <laughs> 410. Oh, so wow. So it's a 410 shotgun. And the idea being the load isn't super big. The gun isn't super heavy. So it's perfect for a younger kid to use. And on top of that, it's considered, like, as far as its ranking goes, it's considered an expert gun. So you, you learn you learn to be super super accurate with right. it because there's no way around it. If you want to hit it, you got to be dead on because you got like ten BBs in that thing. Right, <laughs> right. And that's you it. Either, you either hit it or you don't. Right. So 
thankfully that's what he started me on and uh, i i i do pretty good now as yeah. far as shooting goes oh you're a great i mean as far as clay shooting goes ryan's top notch and i i you know i um in training and in, in learning this weatherby makes a a compact shotgun um and uh their compact series they make a couple of them but the the compact series they have they have one that is like i think it has like a blue camo pattern on it too it's pretty cool for kids but they have good kid shotguns and we got one for um our a friend of the family brady and it was his first shotgun it was a 20 gauge and the 20 gauge is now with the weatherby with the um semi-autos there's zero kick mm-hmm. and i mean zero kick and that kid was able to get his first wood duck with it. He was able to get his first birds with it. That's cool. And I, I like now with kind of going with that idea of like that 410 or 28 gauge, you know, the things that people started out with is the best first gun. I would say now that is probably the best first gun to get for that same lesson of like, um, you know, something light, something that doesn't kick a lot, something that you can focus on being good with, but yet like extremely deadly. You know, yeah. uh, you know, you got no problem killing ducks or turkeys or something like that. Which uh, for us, oh, with all the upland, bir- we do woodcock and grouse hunting. That's primarily what my family did and all of our friends that we would go up with. It was woodcock and grouse. Had dogs for it and everything. We didn't use 12 gauges for woodcock and grouse. It's such close quarters when you're hunting woodcock and grouse that you don't really need that big of a load. And the birds are small enough that if you if you connect on a woodcock even with a 20 gauge, you're blowing that sucker up. Yeah. So uh, with a 12 gauge, there's not going to be much left. Right. I've seen it before with a 20 gauge where you, you that dog retrieves that bird and you're like, what is this? Right. So uh, it's tough bo- to both it. have their have their positions as far as handiness. There's a lot of variables in that though with um with grouse and that because I know we're going to get eaten alive on some things. The a lot of variables of like what choke you use. The distance of the bird, the anticipation of what you think the bird will be distance-wise based on the cover you're hunting to which choke tube you use. Mm -hmm. So there's like variables where 20 would be the best option. There's, you know, um, and Weatherby's coming out with a new over and under uh, 20 gauge Orion. Um, That's the new one coming out. And we just had one of those. It's Orion. It's a 20 gauge over and under. Okay. Um, Or Orion, I guess. Orion. I've only ever read the word. Uh, but it could be well, or- it was named Orion. after me. So. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh Ryan, I get it. I get it. Um, no, like the belt. Uh, nice. Ryan's but 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 men in black reference for anyone who didn't catch it. But um, that gun looks sick. Um, so I'm pretty I'm pretty pumped about that yeah. to, to get to use that. Over and unders are for a quick shooting. Um, those are those are great. The other thing, over and unders are good learning guns too because. Um, you know, they're simple in their mechanics, right? So you crack it open, put the shells in, open it up after you shoot, and they pop out. It's mm-hmm. easy to tell if it's loaded. You can break it open so you, for added safety. You know, you can see that nothing could happen because it's broken. That um, is, that's a good point. That is nice that when you are out shooting clays on the range, you you know whether someone's guns could be hot or not. Oh, really? Oh, well, really? if it's a break action, if it's open, it's oh. not going to go off. It's open. It's it's essentially a safety. Right. Yeah. yeah. I found that interesting, but I am excited about the bows from PSE, and I'm really excited about the guns from Weatherby. Check them out. There, uh, Weatherby is actually starting to get caught up on their uh, their backlog of orders right now, so you're starting to see them at stores again. Obviously, with the um, with the uh, administration change, a lot of people ran out and bought guns fast. Yeah. Uh, and then on with top good of, reason. Yeah, and then on top of that, COVID coming in and everyone wanting to get into shooting sports because it was something you could actually do. Um, mixed with all that demand and you know things got pretty interesting but uh they're starting to get guns back in stock people are starting to be able to get them again ammo's coming back yep they've got some new releases the um there's going to be some new guns that come out besides the ones that i mentioned they look really um, cool that look really awesome that you should be excited about so check that out um thank you so much for tuning in the green Outdoors podcast um if you don't know we actually have a main tv show on sportsman channel 9 30 p.m eastern standard time on saturdays that is our main deal. That's our main show. That's the main thing. That's the thing we're most proud of. That's the foundation of it all. We have the weekly podcast here. Um, we record or we release every Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on our YouTube pages. You can also find it on Carbon TV and obviously everywhere you can listen to podcasts. But we do a lot of interaction. Some of the videos today that you've seen, um, if you're watching this, if you're just listening to it on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, whatever it is, remember to jet over to our YouTube page or 
check out our Carbon TV page so that you can actually watch the content as well. Our secondary HuntCast TV show is alive and well on Carbon TV as well. So if you want to go on some of our other adventures that aren't just the ones from the main TV show, you can find us there. And then our outdoor education series, which you can find on our YouTube channel uh, through our nonprofit. The goal of that is to create a how-to encyclopedia that is there for you. So if you don't know how to do something, we've got the answer for you with a high-quality video that teaches you well. I think on this episode, I know this is spur of the moment, okay. but on this episode, if you listen to this point, write in, send us an email or DM us or something, and we'll, we'll send you some merch. Okay. If you listen to this point, just Ryan, co- right. code if you, word. If you listen all the way through. Code word dolphin. Nice. Yeah. Like Message us dolphin and you'll get something free. Yeah. Include your address. Yeah, that too. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in. Stay green.